Last week, we talked about David and his sin with Bathsheba. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then he killed Uriah, who happened to be her husband and his friend. Now, lest you think I was exaggerating just how ridiculously bad and wicked that sin that David committed was, look at what's said about him in 1 Kings 15.5. Now, this is years after David has died. It says, for David had done right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. Wow. There it is. Still on his record. Years after David has died, the greatest king in Israel's history. And the first portion of that verse affirms just how great David was. No other king is going to be as good as David, as meaning as morally righteous as David. But still, there it is, on his permanent record, that when David is mentioned, that all the good that he did, I mean, he, he had the courage and the faith to fight Goliath. He was willing to trust the Lord and not take matters into his own hands and kill Saul while he's in the wilderness. He doesn't kill Nabal who treats him poorly. He's kind to Mephibosheth. He shows him grace and generosity. He leads Israel to incredible victories over the Philistines and the, and the countries around him in the, in the Near East. He wants to build God a temple because he loves the Lord so much and wants God to be near him. I mean, the, the record is littered with the most amazing things. But none of those good things cancel out this thing. That all that good that he did, still on his record, is the sin with Bathsheba where he kills Uriah the Hittite. Now last week we said that God's grace was greater than David's sin. That God forgave David for his sins. But what does that mean? If David's forgiven, why is this on his record? Why is it still being remembered? Now, this is not ultimately a sermon about David. It's a sermon about us. God's capacity to forgive us is greater than our ability to sin. That's great. But what does that mean? Are the things that we've done in our past on a record somewhere? Is there a book that if we opened up the book, it would say, Jim Samra served the Lord and did great and tried really hard, except for that thing he did in 2002? Jane loved Jesus and gave her heart to him and was really a faithful woman of the Lord, except for the abortion that she had. That John was committed to God and served God faithfully except for that season in which he was addicted to alcohol? What does it mean when we say God has forgiven us? Well, that's what we want to try to understand this morning. So take your Bible, if you will, and turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. It's page 395 in the church Bible, Psalm 32. The reason we're turning to Psalm 32 is Psalm 32 is written by David. And it's written by David 
as he begins to reflect on the forgiveness of God, the very topic we want to think about this morning. We think perhaps this psalm was written as he was reflecting on the forgiveness he experienced for this sin, the sin of stealing Uriah's wife and then killing him. Now, it may not be about that sin, but I think it probably is. And this morning we want to look at Psalm 32 to understand better the concept of forgiveness. And what does it mean when we say that God has forgiven our sins? Are they on our record just like David's is still on his permanent record? Well, let's look at Psalm 32 together. It begins, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. Now stop right there for a minute. The psalm begins with the word blessed. Now blessed is one of those funky Bible words that we hear so much that we forget what it means. What blessed means is, is that God's favor is on us or on the person. It means that God is smiling down. It means that the blessed person, that's the person that you and I look at and go, man, I wish I was him. Like heaven is just opened wide and the generosity and goodness and grace and joy of God is just flooding like a cascade down. That's the blessed person. The person who you look at and say, wow, man is the Lord taking good care of them. Man is the Lord blessing her. That's what we mean when we say blessed. Now this is the second psalm that begins with the phrase, blessed is the person who... The first psalm that begins that way is psalm number one. Psalm number one says, blessed is the person who keeps the law. And hey, no surprise there. We know if you obey God, if you do what's right, God's going to bless you. Do the right thing and God's going to take care of you. That the person who's obeying God, that's the person we look at and go, man, I wish I was that guy. I wish I was that lady. Look at the way God's taking such good care of them. They're obeying, they're living out their faith, they're doing the things they're supposed to be doing, and God's rewarding them for it. And heaven's open wide, and the goodness of God has come into their life. And so Psalm 1 says, blessed are the law keepers. And we think, yeah, no surprise there. But notice how Psalm 32 starts out. Not blessed are the law keepers. It starts, blessed are the law breakers. That's what the word sin and transgression means. It means lawbreaker. And what David is beginning here is somewhat surprising. He's saying, blessed are the people who disobey the Lord. What he means is, is that God's favor, God's smile, heaven is opened wide and God's goodness is being poured out on lawbreakers. People who are disobedient. People who have heard God say, don't do this and went ahead and did it anyway. David is starting by saying, those people are blessed by God. God's goodness is poured out on their life. When you see a lawbreaker, you say, man, I wish I was that lady. I wish I was that guy. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> Can that really be the case? Does God really bless lawbreakers? Well, it says, blessed are the lawbreakers. But it is true that not every lawbreaker is blessed. But some are. 
Some lawbreakers are so blessed by God that you say, man, I wish that was me. But what's the distinction? What makes for a lawbreaker who is blessed by it? Not all are. But some who break God's law are incredibly blessed by God. Well, in Psalm 32, we're going to get five descriptions of the kind of lawbreaker that God blesses. He doesn't bless all of them. But there is a certain group of lawbreakers that God simply dumps the goodness of heaven on them. And I want to give you the descriptions of who those people are. There's five of them. We're going to run quickly through the first four. And then we're going to spend more time on the fifth one. So description number one, it's in the last phrase in verse two. In whose spirit is no deceit. Who are the lawbreakers that God blesses? The first description according to Psalm 32 is they are those who stop lying about being lawbreakers. That's what it means when we say in whose spirit there is no deceit. The problem with sin is, is it deceives us into thinking it's not sin. This was David's problem, is that after he commits adultery with Bathsheba, and after he kills Uriah, he's still rationalizing in his mind, well, maybe this wasn't so bad. He tries to tell Joab, hey, don't let this bother you. Everybody does bad stuff. I do some bad things. It's all going to be okay. That's not the person who is the lawbreaker that's blessed. <clears throat> Psalm 32 says the lawbreaker that's blessed is the one who stops lying about being a lawbreaker. The one who stops lying to themselves about their sexual immorality and realizes that God says that sex outside the bounds of heterosexual marriage is against God's law. And when we stop deceiving ourselves and pretending it's not and actually are honest about it, those are the lawbreakers that are blessed. The lawbreaker who stops trying to hide what goes on behind closed doors in their family and tries to project some image about being a, a very godly, noble person, but behind closed doors is angry and abusive and vengeful. It stops trying to deceive everybody into thinking that they're a good person. The lawbreaker who is blessed is the person who stops lying to God about stealing time and money from him. The first description is, Lawbreakers who are blessed by God are those who stop lying about being lawbreakers. Second description, verses three and four. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. <clears throat> For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Have you ever experienced conviction from the Lord because of your sin? or the heavy hand of God pressing down on you, where it feels like it's stealing your strength, that God is against you and pushing against you. What David says is the lawbreakers who are blessed are those who experience the conviction and suffer at the hands of God for their sin. Now that can be as simple as when you lose your temper with your children and you see the fear in their eyes as you're yelling at them to realize suddenly as you're cut to the heart, what's the matter with me? What am I doing? Why am I such a monster? Or it can be getting near the end of your life and looking around and going, well, I don't have any friends. And the reason I don't have any friends is because my whole life I've been gossiping about other people and I've been using other people instead of serving them. 
and suddenly the scales fall from your eyes and you realize, I've experienced the discipline of God and that he's withheld real friendships from me because of the way I treat people. <clears throat> it can be wrapping your car around a tree while you're engaged in proud thoughts in your mind and God trying to get your attention and say, hey, look, knock it off. Stop thinking of yourself higher than you ought to think. Any level of suffering and conviction for our sin, David says, the lawbreaker who's blessed is the one who has experienced conviction or suffering at the hands of God for their sin. Third characteristic, verse five. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Pretty simple. The lawbreaker who's blessed is the one who confesses their sin to God. David gets to this point where he finally realized, whoa, I've sinned against the Lord. Here it is, he's simply repeating that. The lawbreaker who is blessed, not every lawbreaker is blessed, but the lawbreaker who is blessed is the one who confesses their sin to the Lord. Fourth, verses six through nine. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. And now here David switches to God. So God is now the one speaking in verses eight and nine. <clears throat> the Lord says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Don't be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Verses six through nine is an invitation. It's an invitation from God to come back to him. That what our sin does is separate us from God, the God who blesses us. And God invites us to come back. And so the fourth characteristic of the lawbreakers who are blessed by God are those who are invited by God and respond to that invitation to come back. David's sin with Bathsheba and Uriah separated him from God. But 2 Samuel 12, 1 says, the Lord sent Nathan to David to invite him back. Not to punish him, but to say, come back. This is what God does. This is when you feel that conviction in your heart and you feel like God is saying to you, look, get out of that stuff, come back to me. Don't you remember the joy of your salvation? Don't you remember what it was like when we were able to engage together and God's inviting you back? It can also come when a friend sits down with you and says, hey, look, don't be mad at me. I wouldn't tell you this if I didn't love you. But the laziness in your life is killing you. That's God inviting you back, saying the sin has created a separation. It's created a distance. Come back to me. And so the fourth characteristic of the kinds of lawbreakers who are blessed is they are the ones who are invited by God to return and respond to that invitation. Those are the first four. I said we wanted to spend more time on the fifth. The fifth comes in verse number 10. David says, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Remember the word wicked and trusts. Now I have to admit, when I first read this psalm, verse 10 threw me off. I didn't understand what was going on until I realized that David, when he talks about the wicked, is talking about himself. 
As long as you read this psalm and get to that verse and think, yeah, many are the woes of the wicked and think, well, you guys are the wicked, not me. Or think, well, the wicked are out there. They're not in here. Or the wicked, those are the kind of people we read in the newspaper. Those are the kinds of people you hear about on the news, but that's not me. As long as we think that way, that the wicked are some category of people that we don't belong to, this psalm will make no sense. Psalm 32 is not for us until we realize, like with David, we're the wicked. David is saying many are the woes that I'm experiencing as a wicked person. That's the whole point about God's hand crushing him down. David is experiencing woes as a wicked person. And until you and I realize that we're wicked, Psalm 32 has nothing to do with us. So the final characteristic of the lawbreaker that is blessed by God, the person who disobeys God, but God rips open heaven and dumps out his blessings on them, is that that person is the wicked who trusts in God. The wicked person who trusts in God. Not all lawbreakers are blessed, but the wicked lawbreakers who trust in God, those are the ones who are blessed. Now what does it mean to be a wicked person who trusts in God? Well, the Apostle Paul actually explains to us exactly what this means. He tells us in Romans chapter four, listen to what Paul says. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And here, Paul quotes a psalm, listen. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, blessed whose sins are covered, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. What psalm is this? Psalm 32. Paul is reading our psalm, quoting our psalm. Now, what verse is he talking about when he says, but trust God who justifies the wicked? Verse 10. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. And here's what Paul helps us to understand. Look, to the man who does not work, what he's saying is, look, David is wicked. All the good that David did, all the great things and positive things cannot erase the fact that he killed Uriah and stole his wife. That 1 Kings 15, 5 is exactly right. David obeyed the Lord. David was a good king. David was a righteous man, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. And that so too, Paul is a wicked man. That all the good that Paul's going to do from this point on, all the people he's going to share the gospel with, all the great things he's going to do are not going to erase the fact that he persecuted Jesus and Jesus' church and was complicit in the murder of believers in Jesus. Paul realizes that no matter how much good he does, that his record reads the same as David's record. The apostle Paul obeyed the Lord, was a good man, shared the gospel, was a missionary, except when he persecuted Christians. And that you and I are wicked. And that all that work we do, all that good stuff we work at, all that good stuff we try to say, Jim Samra obeyed the Lord and tried to do his best. 
that there will always be that except in the case of what happened in 2002. Except in this case, except in that case. But Paul says, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked. Now what does that mean to justify the wicked? Well, David actually provides the perfect illustration of this. David's great sin is with Uriah the Hittite. He steals his friend's wife and kills him. If you do a search on the name Uriah the Hittite, you will find that it shows up all the time in 2 Samuel 11 through 12. That was the passage we looked at last week. That's the story. So no surprise that Uriah's name shows up a lot in that story. The next time it shows up is in 1 Kings 15.5. That was the passage we looked at this morning where David's epitaph or David's permanent record says he did great things except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. The next time Uriah's name shows up, it's not in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. I want to show it to you. Turn over to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, page 682. Page 681, sorry. Matthew chapter 1. This is the very first page of the New Testament. Notice how it begins. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The very first thing that appears in the New Testament is Jesus's genealogy. And you can just glance down, that's what it is. It's a bunch of, he was the father of him and he was the father of him and all of that. But look in verse six. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon. And then look at this. Whose mother had been Uriah's wife. There it is right there. That's the sin. That's David stealing Uriah's wife and killing him. Right there, still recorded. But the really, really interesting thing, whose genealogy is this? It's Jesus's. This is not David's genealogy. This is Jesus's genealogy. The sin is still there. But now it's connected to Jesus, not to David. Now, when you think of Jesus, do you think of him as having slept with Bathsheba and killed Uriah? No, nobody thinks of him that way. But look, it's right there, isn't it? Is this the word of God? Is it true? This is his genealogy. It's right there. The record of that sin is right there. I'm reading it. It's right there on Jesus' genealogy. Now, here's the really, really interesting thing. This is the last time that Uriah's name is ever mentioned. 59 more times in the New Testament, David is going to be mentioned. Never once will he ever again be associated with the sin that he did against Uriah. Here's the point. 
It's not that God has forgotten about this sin. It's not like, who was that Uriah guy? Wasn't there some guy named Uriah that used to have a wife and died? I can't remember. It's not that God's done that. He knows very well that Uriah has been murdered and that his wife has been stolen. It's just now in the New Testament, that event is associated with Jesus, not with David. That's what Paul means when he says God justifies the wicked. That's what Paul and David mean when they say, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against them. It's not that the sin is forgotten about or like God has amnesia or that he just covered his eyes and said, I can't remember anything. It's not that. It's that those sins are not counted on David's account anymore. It's now on Jesus' account. That when you think of Jesus, Jesus is the one who has the sin with Uriah listed in his genealogy, not David. That every other time David is referred to in the New Testament, he's free from that sin. What that means is that in the New Testament, when God looks at David, he doesn't see that sin. Because that sin is on Jesus' account, not on David's account. In the Old Testament, David, good man, did great things, really served the Lord, but he's still responsible for killing Uriah. But by the time of the New Testament, David, the righteous king, the sin with Uriah is now on Jesus' account. It's not on David's. That's what we mean when we said God justifies the wicked. He takes our sin and puts it onto Jesus' permanent record so it is no longer on ours. When God talks about us, that sin is not associated with us. It's not like the sin is forgotten about. It's that it's now connected to a different person, not us, but Jesus. Back to Psalm 32. Verse 10. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. David is saying, look, to you and I today, this is actually God. God is saying, look, I love you. I love you, even though you've had an affair, even though you've had an abortion, even though you've been addicted to alcohol, even though you've been disobedient to parents, even though you've messed up raising your children, even though you have cheated at work, I still love you. And I am willing to take those sins and put them on Jesus' account instead of yours. That's what he does for David. This is what Jesus does for us. And God is saying to you and I this morning, I'm the God who justifies the wicked. I'm the God who takes the sin off of their account and gives it to Jesus so that I can bless you. Look what happens between verse 10 and verse 11. Notice what verse 11 says. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. David was wicked in verse 10. Now in verse 11, he's righteous. What happened? His sin has been given to Jesus. This is what God is saying is, look, the lawbreaker who is blessed, not any lawbreaker, not every lawbreaker is blessed, 
but those wicked lawbreakers who trust in Jesus. Those are the ones who become righteous. Look, in verse 11, he's righteous. David is singing for joy. He went from being wicked to being righteous because that sin with Uriah is now permanently on Jesus' account. David does not die for sleeping with Bathsheba or for killing Uriah, but Jesus does. That's how we know it's on Jesus' record and not on David's record anymore. Last week, a man came up to me after the service with his wife. It was a hard sermon, <laughs> pretty tough about sin and adultery and those kinds of things and saying, look, God's not gonna put up with this kind of stuff. He came forward, tears in his eyes, and he said, I'm David. Now that's not his actual name, but he was playing the role of David. <clears throat> he said, 12 years ago I had an affair. Now, the man doesn't come to Calvary. He was in town on a conference and felt compelled to come to Calvary. He's like, well, when I showed up, I knew why I was supposed to be here. Now he comes down front and he's, he's weeping. <clears throat> and he says, I'm here to testify to the fact that God's grace and forgiveness has overcome my sin. And I said, well, what is it that brings you to town? He says, I'm here in a conference because I'm a worship pastor. And so I said, well, if you're a worship pastor, when you think about God's forgiveness and grace and love, what songs come to mind? And so he said, he sent me three songs. One, Before the Throne of God Above that we sang already. The other two we're going to sing as soon as the sermon is over. But when he sent me those songs that he thinks of, when he thinks of God's amazing grace and forgiveness and love, he also sent me this testimony, which he said I could share with you. He said, thank you again for your sermon today. We met after the 1115 service. I was the David you spoke about today. I was right with you when you said that Satan wants to make us think it is hopeless. There is nothing beyond the devastation of our sin. For a time, I listened to that lie. I felt very bad I did not tell you that the Lord in his grace saved our marriage. I wanted to make sure you knew that because you met my wife. And I wanted you to know God showed extraordinary grace through her life. She never once thought of divorcing me, though she could have biblically. It is a further testimony to the power of God in restoration and reconciliation. She was devastated, shamed, hurt, wounded by my sin against God, her, my family, and the church. But through it all, she trusted the Lord, prayed for me, stayed with me, and was helped and supported by our church family. I could share a great deal more if you would like, but suffice it to say you are correct when you say we underestimate the depth and power of the grace of God. And I might add the power of a church that acted in God's truth and grace. I never imagined God would still want me in service to him in ministry in the local church. But he did after a period of time. I am nothing. He is everything. If my sin can show the wonders of his grace and the power of his reconciling work, then that is what we want. Now here's this man who's down front right here. 
after this service last week testifying that God had simply ripped open heaven and poured out his grace on him, a lawbreaker, an adulterer, that he was more blessed now that his marriage was better now than it had been before the affair. That's what David's talking about. Blessed are the lawbreakers. And the reason he's blessed is because when I looked at him, I didn't think of him as an adulterer when he came walking down the aisle. His wife, even more importantly, doesn't look at him as an adulterer. And even most importantly of all, God doesn't look at him as an adulterer. Did the adultery still happen? Yes, but it's just no longer associated with him. That the way I saw him, here's some guy coming down. God sees him that way. That adultery goes with Jesus, not with him. And so God has simply ripped open heaven and poured out his blessings on this man. And this man is saying, look, if I could just tell people how amazing God's grace is, how incredible God is, that God blesses the wicked. He justifies the wicked because of his unfailing love. That's what God is saying to you and I this morning. Look, if we're willing to stop lying about being wicked, if we've experienced conviction and suffering for being wicked, if we've confessed our wickedness to God, if God has invited us to stop being wicked and to come back to him, and if we are trusting in the God who justifies the wicked, then this psalm is our psalm. Our sin is given to Jesus, and when God looks at us, he simply doesn't see that sin associated with us anymore. That yes, before Jesus, it would have been Jim Samra, great guy, did lots of good things, except, 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 except. But now in Jesus, it only says, Jim Samra, child of the Lord. All the rest of that stuff is not on my account anymore. It's on Jesus' account. It's permanently written on his account. Now you may say, but what if I didn't confess enough? What if I didn't suffer enough? What if I didn't feel convicted enough? What if I haven't been honest enough? But that's us trusting in ourselves. If you're here this morning and you say, I, I'll take that. I, I want my sins to be on Jesus' account. If you say, I wish, I wish somehow that I could turn to Matthew 1. I just wish that when I read Matthew 1, it was my name there with my sin on Jesus' account. I wish that could be true. If you wish it could be true, then it is true. Uh -huh. Meaning that that means you have faith, that you're trusting in the Lord. If that is your heart's desire, that's what God gives to you. And my friends, understand that Psalm 32 is your psalm. If you want it to be your psalm, God is offering it to you today. If you want your record to be clean, if you want all of the sins that you have committed to be associated with Christ instead of with you, God says they will be. And you will be blessed as a lawbreaker that God opens up heaven and pours out his blessing on you. That if this is what you want, if you want Jesus to carry those sins instead of you, then God gives those sins to Jesus and he smiles down on you that his favor is infinite, that he is glad for you, that he's pouring out blessings. Here was this couple standing down here who had had an affair and there was adultery and people were looking around saying, I wish I was them because God was blessing in such great ways. This is who God is. This is what he does. Not because of our work. Listen, you can work as hard as you want. You can try to be more righteous than David. You can try to be better than Paul. You can try to take more missions trips and do more things than Paul did. You can try to be a better, more moral person than David did. But at the end of the day, your account is still going to say, accept, 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 accept. 
But if you decide not to try to erase those things through good deeds and instead simply say, look, my life is in the hands of the God who justifies the wicked, then God takes all those things and he writes them permanently on Jesus' record. And once they're permanently on Jesus' record, they are no longer on your record. And they're no longer on my record. And God is saying to you this morning, Psalm 32 is your psalm. Rejoice, you righteous person. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for God's favor shines down. Don't listen to what your heart says. Don't listen to what your family says. Don't listen to what people around you say. Don't listen to what the word, world says. Listen to what the word of God says. God says to you, I have declared you to be righteous. I have taken your sin and given it to Jesus. I have written your sin on his account. You are set free. Believe it. Believe it, please, and know that God simply does not see that sin connected to you anymore. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, these are going to remain ethereal truths. They're going to remain ideas and concepts until your spirit opens the hearts of the people who are listening to say, no, this is you. God, I'm praying right now. There are some in this room, Lord. There are some who have struggled with abortions. There are some who have struggled with affairs. There are some who have struggled with addictions. Uh, Lord God, there are some who have struggled with disobeying parents. There are some who have struggled with lying. There are some who keep being reminded over and over again of sins of pornography, uh, of cheating, of stealing. Uh, Lord God, I'm praying right now that you would speak to those who are in Christ and tell them that sin is not associated with them anymore. Lord, please, if you do not speak, we will not know. But your voice is truth. I pray that this sermon right now would hit home to people that you, they would hear you say, no, I'm blessing you. I'm blessing you. Please, God, speak. Thank you for your forgiveness. Jesus, we thank you that you have made this possible. Like I said at the beginning, how could anybody have fathomed this? But God, you have done this. You are the God who justifies the wicked. And God, we freely admit we are wicked people and you are a good God. Lord, we declare with our brother that we are nothing and you are everything. And we thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us.